I am Consciously Curious, a podcast for those that are searching for a career or cultivating meaning within their own space. We've had anesthesia providers to barbers, dog behaviors to airline pilots, white collar to blue collar, entrepreneurs to passion projects. Life's too short to not produce meaningful work. Join me, Victor Chan, as we deep dive within various industries. I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to leave a comment. I hope you find some value within these conversations, but more importantly, I hope it sparks a meaning within your own space. Our next guest is a best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and strategic consultant to corporate executives, business students, and entrepreneurial leaders. Anyone that spent time with her can tell that she's figured something out and her gift is sharing it with others. Her presence is palpable through the level of attention she gives you through each interaction. What I took away from our conversation is that the best version of you is already within you. Please enjoy my conversation with Courtney McDermott. Courtney, welcome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start with the reading. Okay. Let's see if it, uh, I know we're a little primed already, but let's uh, see if this puts us even more in the mood. It's from uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle. We depend on nature, not only for our physical survival, we also need nature to show us the way home, the way out of the prison of our own minds. We get lost in doing, thinking, remembering, anticipating, lost in a maze of complexity and a world of problems. We have forgotten what rocks, plants, animals still know. We have forgotten how to be, to be still, to be ourselves, to be where life is, here and now. Hmm. When I was doing some research, um, I don't know if someone, I think I read this, that you have this deep knowledge, but also a deep sense of humility in the sense that your level of like eye engagement is almost intimidating <laughs> in, a, in a good in a good way <laughs> it's something to aspire to mm. um and you truly pause and listen um and i think a lot of people me personally i'm guilty of it is like we have like a loaded response sometimes ready to go mm-hmm. um and it takes effort to stop that mm. Um, and as of recently, I'm trying to move away from initially asking people what they do and, Mm -hmm. and think more about like who they are as a person. And, and, uh, it's a struggle. We've been like ingrained from such a young age of like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do when you grow up? Um, and, uh, that being said, (laughs) I I think it's a good conversation starter. Mm. You hold and wear many hats. Um, motivational speaker, consultant, like strategic consultant, author, sister, mom, daughter. Like, is there a role that you align with the most at the moment? Hmm. I, as much as possible, I yeah. try to stay out of overly identifying with roles. Mm. I think that actually oftentimes gets us into some trouble. And I talk about this a little bit in the book, but I think it's also really important to to take a moment to think about 
how we actually identify ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Like a minute ago, a second ago, you were saying how, you know, from a very young age, we're asked, we're asked, what do you do? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? And actually, those are conflated, right? Because when they ask us, what do you want to be? It's about what you want to do. And when we're really aligned with force energy, we, the doing happens through us, okay? It happens as a result of who we are. And who we've become, who we are, who we're becoming, who we've decided we're becoming. And that's mm. the true becoming that actually no one or most people typically don't ask you. And that's such a, that's such an, just again, that moment of reflection of I define this person as this, that, or the other, right? And why? And what is even the person? Mm. In fact, the word person comes from persona. It comes from ancient Greek theater. It was the masks that they wore. So, what mask are you wearing? And it's okay. We all have to wear masks to operate within this dimension, within this thing that we're calling a society or in various different ways. But it's when you realize that you're not the mask. And this harkens back a little bit to the conversation we were having on our way over here, which is you're not the body. You're not even this thing that you think is your mind. Like, you're actually not either one of those things. And when you start to become aware of that more and more, that's when, again, the doing will happen spontaneously through you because doing what you decide to do with your life should actually spring forth from mm. that sort of intrinsic motivation that we all have. And I could go on and on about this because like, I have issues there, with a lot of <laughs> is, <laughs> the ways we... And we can, we can yeah. swap masks. Is there a yeah. way to put on or cultivate a mask that is more congruent and in alignment with our authentic self? Such a good question. I, I believe that the mask actually should um, serve as the kind of like the external representation of the formless. So mm-hmm. like the formless, it needs a form to express through. And when I say formless, I'm talking about that force source energy that beats your heart that sends electrical impulses from your brain down to your legs saying, you know, or, and, and your feet saying, let's take one step and another. I'm talking about that force source energy, right? That sort of is the impetus for all of, all of the physical, right? So if you're using the person that you've created, the character, mm-hmm. okay, you, you're putting it in service to that, then the sky is the limit for your potential. I can give you specific examples sure. of what I mean about this if you want. So, I used to think that the person was kind of like the end all, be- like the the I, the character that I had created was what was creating the results. And what I didn't realize at that time was the character was actually in the way of the results. Mm. Okay, so like the character that I had created, which was a formidable, yeah, I mean, I'm, oh good, I'm you know sounding, but it was like you know a corporate executive mm. running all around, like all the things that we identify in our society lots of times with so-called success. Like I had all the gold stars. Mm. And what I didn't realize was like, well, first I did realize from the signals that I was getting from myself and around that like, this wasn't it, you know, this wasn't it. So I really had to take a step back. But now that I realize, oh, these characters that I created, they're great. You know, like people Mm. are always saying, get rid of the ego. You shouldn't, I'm like, dude, I love my ego. Like Mm. my ego is what allows me to sit here and have this conversation with you, Mm. okay? It's what brings me into a Fortune 500. You're not trying to shame the ego. No, I love the ego. I'm Mm. like, please. But it's when the ego, it's when you believe that you are that, the ego is the self, 
it's the self, okay? But it's the it's the physical representation of the self, right? So when you start to believe that that's it and that's all you are, that's where people get in trouble and that's where people oftentimes feel crappy and they often project real like kind of you know, it looks like a power thing and they mm-hmm. just they don't feel good. You you'll notice like if you don't you don't feel good in your relations with your others and with yourself. And that's kind of one of the main ways you can say, Oh wow, I'm just so overly identified with the character, like that's what I believe that I am. Instead, when you put the character in service to that four source energy, like I mean, I'm doing this more and more now and it's just so it's just <laughs> it's it's astounding the results that you get because you're no longer identified with that you're using all of that accumulation of this physical experience that you've had up until now to serve this this other energy that I'm talking about and like I said when you do that it's just for me it's been so astonishing to see the ways that that has impacted my life my business everything else that's amazing Um, to provide some context for the listeners uh, we met at Jameson and Jordan's wedding mm-hmm. and the, congratulations, the impetus that made me curious about sitting down with you is, uh, superficially your ability to cultivate a living in Italy and abroad. Mm-hmm. And I'm also then, it leads me to be curious about what led you to not feel no longer aligned with that persona. Mm. Could you take us back to kind of your journey through corporate world and the lessons you learned through that and some of the feelings that came up that led you to what you do now? Mm. Well, I often say that I had so many cold shower moments. You know, there were just so many times where Mm. I felt like this just doesn't feel good. Okay. And so there wasn't exactly one thing, yeah. even though in my book and my TEDx talk, I, I, I talk about the one thing. But at that time as well, it was sort of what, again, I was not fully aligned like I was talking about a moment ago. So um, in corporate, so when I, I started, gosh, I mean, I've had so many lifetimes in this lifetime that I'm kind of like, where do I start this story? Because <laughs> I literally started at like an entry level position, but then I uh, eventually not too long. I guess... Growing up, when yeah. you started thinking about what you wanted to do for a living, what were some of the initial seeds? Oh my God, I wanted to be a singer and an actress, 100%. I still do. <laughs> I still do. Anyone watching, I, I just like whoever you are, I need you to know I want to be a singer, songwriter, actress, like guitar player. Yeah. I, like, I like all of that. So, but I did know that I, I loved, you know what I loved about all of that and that I love about my work so much is I can see and feel the light, the light going on in others. I can, I can feel it. So I can feel when that spark is illuminated and mm. you're just like, oh my God, and you remember who you are. You remember your power. You remember your potential. And that's the greatest gift. Like when I stand up on a stage or one-on-one or whatever, it doesn't matter if it's one or thousands, I can feel that energy and it's this force source energy coursing through me and coursing through everyone else and again when you're aware of that and you bring your conscious awareness and attention to it we're just these magnificent beings and yeah we, I love seeing it being realized on the ride here mm-hmm. you, you use the metaphor haven't you I haven't heard before of tuning a radio mm. and what we have and what we're looking for has always been there and we're, we're just on the wrong channel. Mm. And so one thing, it's one thing to realize that you're on the wrong channel. Uh, what did you do to tune yourself to the, a more accurate channel? Mm. 
so many things, but if I had to give one thing, uh, it's just inner, it's just listening. You just gotta listen. You know, we're not listening. A lot of people can't sit still. They can't, and they also can't go around without external noise, all this kind of stuff. And it was Pascal who said that all men's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And that is one of the most profound statements in the world. And if you actually sit with it, it will change your life because we're just, we're so bombarded. And I was talking about this in an interview, I think a TV interview the other day of, you know, like 20 years ago, I remember reading the statistic that the average American was exposed to something like 3,000 advertisements a day. Mm. 20 years ago, Victor. So just imagine today, right, with this, with these phones and everything, just this onslaught of information and all of it is basically telling you like, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough, you're not moving well, good enough, your business isn't this, isn't that. Do these five things and everything will be solved. And my work is actually the antithesis of that. It's mm. like, this deep listening that I'm talking about, and there are various different ways that I propose to be able to do it, but that deep listening or to just come to it because it's a coming to it. It's like a returning home. That deep listening will never misguide you and it will give you step after step and it will precisely lead you like if you allow it, but all the noise gets in the way. And that's one of the things that I think the more mindful of that you become and the ways in which you limit it and I'm not saying that you need to just again sit in a room quietly all alone or in a cave or whatever because that's not also what we're here to do but that sort of deep listening which for me also and this is just an extension of it but a very important one is the embodiment piece of listening also through your body what your body's trying to tell you and that's a whole other conversation which we can have if you'd like <laughs> yeah. uh, in your latest book uh, give yourself permission um I really loved the concentric circle example. Mm. Um, distractions as the outermost concentric circle and then delusion in the middle one. Uh, and then uh, design of dimension or dimension of design is the yeah. most inner yeah. mm -hmm. circle. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of those examples are maybe the endless scrolling as a distraction. Delusions can be things that are keep you busy but aren't necessarily important and i've seen this in like a grid as well right um and then the most you know uh inner circle is i guess your most alignment or aligned vision uh, mm -hmm. of what you're trying to attain any thoughts on people that are highly distracted or deluded but actually don't complain hmm. yeah well, okay, I've never like, gotten like that question. You see, so much, <laughs> you see so much potential in people, but how could you want something more than they want it for themselves? Oh, and it's not your job to want Exactly, it right? More than they want. Like, it's, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people who think they're helping fall prey to. Like, mm. I've got to save somebody or I have to save the planet. I'm like, no, actually. You know, it's, it's oh God, there's that great quote and I can't remember where it comes from, but it's something like, um, you know, everyone wants to save the world. Everyone thinks of saving the world. No one thinks of saving themselves. And it's, I don't know what great thinker, but it's something along those lines. And I think I might even be botching it up a bit. But the idea is, think about yourself. So when I was back in corporate, I was head of corporate communications, but mm -hmm. I was also, I also, this is a long story how I got into this, but I got into sustainability and I ended up leading it for a number of the brands and, and our biggest portfolio. And then I ended up, being the chairwoman of these organizations across the world and we were doing all this work. Yeah, yeah. tell me. Superficially, sustainability sounds good. 
Mm. Did it feel good at the time? Well, so this is, so I, I was, you know, having all of these conferences and events and all these meetings and we were talking about, you know, really making a change in, um, ecologically and socially. And I just kept feeling like no one's saying the emperor is not wearing any clothes. <laughs> and like, I re- I remember, I, you know, I was doing all this in corporate and I was considered like this main spokesperson for mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we were doing. And we were developing some really sophisticated technologies as well around, uh, products and, and, and the life cycle of products and all that. And it was great. I mean, it was really thoughtful work, but I just felt like you, you know, it's a little bit of a adaptation of Einstein's, you can't solve the problem at the same level of thinking that created the problem. But it was like, you can't solve the problem if you're focused on the problem either. Mm. So when I looked at corporations and everything, like the great work that they were doing and the subpar work in, in these areas, but I was like, work, we keep focusing on this problem, right? Like waste emissions and everything else. But what's causing that? And it was the consciousness that's causing it. And so for me, so at the time, and then I went and I joined another group. I was vice president of- Consciousness um, of the company? Well, I'll, I'll explain exactly mm. what I mean in a second. So I, so I joined this other group. I, we were working with clients like Nike and Starbucks and the US military and NASA, like pretty big outfit. Uh, I was their vice president and I was like, you know, we're working on these like, hundred page documents on sustainability mm. strategies and stuff. And even though that was not my, you know, that was not necessarily, it became my area of expertise, but I was always telling people like, I am figuring this out too. And, um, but we were working on the stuff and I just, again, felt like looking at these problems is in focusing on them and trying to kind of, uh, remedy the situation as much as we can is not going to, is not going to save things, but what would potentially save things is if we, as leaders, as business leaders and as, leaders at home and wherever else, if we felt, if we were sustaining ourselves, if we felt that our life was truly beautiful, Mm. you know? And so I coined my own definition of sustainability as the ability to sustain yourself, because I felt like if enough of the individual cells of this organism that we may call a body, a world, a galaxy, whatever that is, if they're in a state of health and well-being, well, then the organism will be as well. So it was about the individual cell. How sure. does the individual cell heal and as many of us as possible to hit critical mass so that the body can become healthier and then eventually, hopefully, very healthy and vibrant? Does so that's that a very sense? It does. That's a very micro uh, perspective. In the macro perspective, where you're looking at each individual human being within the company as a cell? Absolutely. And in the world, right? Yeah. So, and again, I mean... We don't have to get all metaphysical on this. I okay. think we did enough of that before. But um, <laughs> but this idea that again that the if if you start to realize that you're connected to me, that you, Victor, are actually you you know you conceive of yourself for the most part probably as like you know you you live here you you're about to get married you know all these great things, but when you start to open your awareness and your consciousness to the fact that actually you and I are connected and we are made of the same stuff as this table, right? And the only reason we even perceive this as solid is because of the the frequency of it, the vibrations of it, okay? But if you start to move deeper and deeper into the realization that actually you are all of it, and I don't mean that in a... a, a Literal? I don't mean that in a... Or... <laughs> uh, was it megalomaniac kind of way? I mean it in the sense that you're connected to everything. Like John Muir said, pull on a single string and you'll find it attached to the, the entire world. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that like one that. yet. Yeah, anyway, again, I might be kind of botching them up a little bit, but I don't think so. I hope not. And that was the general gist. So there you go. Yeah. 
So did you try to implement new protocols to uh, refocus people's consciousness within the company? I did. I did. But this this thinking actually came about much later when oh. I started my own company. Uh. So I started my first company and um, it was a and it was an advising company and I started advising to corporations and um, did you yeah. feel like you couldn't do it from the inside or like what, what, what no I felt I did a lot of that work on the mm. inside but the overall pressure was on these kinds of things that were so established already that I couldn't do the work on the level that I wanted to yeah plus my interest has always been in human potential I mean ever since right. I was a little girl I was picking up books like that versus books on you know of course I like I like all the other stuff too because I'm a big fan of just any kind of literature. Not any kind, but lots of them. And I, yeah, I remember just reading these. I was just so fascinated. Like, who are we? What are we? I mean, I from a very young age, I was really fascinated with what this is, what we're doing, who we are. So, yeah. So then, when when did you decide to leave corporate? Mm. Oof, gosh, I have such a bizarre relationship with time that I can't give you a precise year. I think, okay, I know that I published my first book in 2017, so I had left corporate probably, I want to say, a year or two before that. Mm. Um, I had set out on my own. I had started my first company. And I, yeah, I, I think it was around that time, but it was very much a transitional process because I gave them a lot of time. Oh, and before, after I left corporate, I actually joined Sustainability Partners as their vice president. So I, I left Vanity Fair Corporation, and then I had a whole, I want to say like a year in this other position and still feeling like this isn't it either. Mm. But it, they're all breadcrumbs, and I can see very mm. clearly how all of them led to what I do today. And yeah, but that was quite a few years back. This role that we're occupying right now, I don't think anyone can fathom what that could be growing up when we start thinking about mm. what we'd like to do. Mm. Um, if you were to give advice to someone starting to think about what they want to do, is it more so like try to think about what you want to feel like similar to a conversation mm. we had earlier on the way here rather than the actual role? Because it's hard to imagine everything that comes with that role. Mm -hmm. That role is so superficial. Mm -hmm. What would you tell someone starting mm. out? Do what you love, like mm. really do what you love. Um, and you might be surprised of what it opens up for you. Because, for example, I always loved reading and I loved entertaining. Mm. And I, I loved reading, I should say, that's not accurate. I loved learning. And the ways I get to learn just constantly all the time in my work are just, I mean, for me, it's like I will grab a, a journal on neuroscience before I'll grab, um, well, before, I don't even have a TV. So, mm. you know, but if I were to watch something like on Netflix or whatever, I'm more likely to grab Which makes sense. You didn't something. know what the office was. <laughs> I didn't. I, I know what it is. I just haven't seen a full episode. I think they're brilliant. I love that dude. Uh, anyway. Ray Wilson, Steve yeah. Or Steve Carell, yeah. Yeah, I really like that dude. He's hilarious. Um, but I just don't, yeah, I'm not so mainstream in that no, sense. No, no, all good. Um, but yeah, so we, where were we? What was this an answer to? Because now I got on the office and I'm like, oh, no, right. So, oh. Well, this, anyway, it was kind of like the decision to really focus on, yeah, on, on this aspect of business, which is an aspect of life. It's just, yeah, so. Hmm. 
Um, and was it a good transition? Like, did you, I feel like you left on good terms. Yeah, I left on very, very good terms. I, yeah, I think I gave them something like six months yeah. at, uh, maybe even more because I was covering so many positions yeah. and, oh, sorry. Yes, that's where we were. I was like trying to save that on the last answer, but we were talking about doing what you love mm. and I actually want to come back to that because so many people will say, well, you can't make any money at that. Right. And so people will, they're focusing on money. And I talk a lot about wealth principles in my book because I really would love if more and more people became aware of what money really is and, um, and also what wealth means. Yeah. Because it's not just like accumulating all these things, but we're so driven in our society and conditioned, we're hyper conditioned to sort of also link our value to some of that. And so, or to a, to a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, I think it's really important for people to stay, take a step back and actually have the courage and the audacity to follow what's really true for them. And this force source energy that I was talking about at the beginning keeps showing up when you show up for yourself in those ways. And I do recognize how scary that can be because many times in my life I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. And, um, and it was just really saying like, but this is in my heart, you know, what I'm doing right now, what I, like even some of the things that are very difficult, like writing this, this, these books or, those kinds of things. It was like, but I have to do this. It was that inner motivation, you know, that mm-hmm. impetus. So, yeah. You also would like make vision boards out of cardboard too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we started talking about this a little bit before I had this, this is really funny. This actually was the first year that I totally ditched like traditional planning stuff. And I took a piece of dilapidated cardboard. I think I actually cut it out of a box and I just put all these lines through it. So I had 12 boxes and I put these just very audacious goals, what felt like very audacious goals at the time. I wanted to publish my first book. I wanted to give a TEDx talk. I wanted to take a whole month off in America, which I hadn't done in a really, I don't even think I'd ever done it since I'd been living abroad. And I've been living abroad for a long time, uh, over half my life actually. And um, so I took this and I did this and I thought, how am I going to do any of this? And I had no idea, but I just sort of relaxed into it. And actually all of those things came to fruition in pretty astounding ways as well, because I didn't have any of them lined up. I didn't know how it was going to work. And um, yeah. And now actually I don't even do that. Yeah. We were, we were Mm -hmm. talking about this earlier. Uh, I think it is important to have some type of vision, but also important to be open-minded enough to understand that possibilities could be endless and you might not arrive at the initial vision um but the emotions that that vision would have evoked uh is still within wherever you have arrived wherever you've ended up Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i keep not wanting to use the word arrival because of our (laughs) previous discussion it's like and it's like there is no arrival uh, good good speaking of um speaking of wealth accumulation um there are people on my on my staff who teach with me um, that say like I would do this for free, mm. um, and I try to t- show them that there's there's nothing wrong with wanting money, no. right? Some people some people ha- people bad, have different yes. relationships with <laughs> with money. Um, what is a healthy way to look at money? Well, first you have to understand that money is actually an outpicturing of your beliefs. Can you go? What's outpicturing? What it's do you mean? an outpicturing. So like. What you're seeing in the physical, I'm sorry, I did not mean to just like plug my book. No, you're good, you're good. <laughs> but what you see in the physical is actually, it's a it's the physical representation of a lot of what you believe. Yeah. Okay? 
So this is goes for everything. It's not just money, but you need to understand. That's one of the principles in my book that I discuss. Is like you need to understand that this is a this is an outpicturing of your beliefs. So once you've got that piece in place, you can start to again not. So money is so just as an idea. Again, it's a, it's an idea, and I don't want to get too mm, you know mm, philosophical mm, woo, here, yeah. but like <laughs> <laughs> it's like anything else that you you know, it, it, especially though the, with money, it's about your beliefs of worthiness, mm. and it has a lot to do with your it has to, it has a lot to do with intimacy and love and like it, it it's there's a lot I wrapped up. Thought of that. I know there's a lot wrapped up in in money. Um, but as again, especially in terms of your sense of worth, worth, right? Self-worth. And this I think is something that pretty much every single human struggles with. Um, even the ones that seem so sure of them, actually oftentimes the people who seem the surest of themselves will, will struggle with this. And so you'll see really unhealthy relationships with money. And that doesn't even mean just not having it. So there's like scarcity, but there's also having it, it never being enough. There's, um, I need more, I need more, I need more. Mm. Um, there's so many different ways that our sense of deservedness will be represented through this thing that we call money, specifically money, because unlike this book, for example, you've got a lot of charge in money. So it holds a lot of charge as a, as an, as a, Object again, it's all. If we look at it from char- a subatomic char- perspective, it's charge all like electrical charge or charge in, as in value. Char- no charge as in energetic charge. So like you, the way you feel about money. Like if I talk to you about money and you're in dire straits and you have you know serious problems with money at the moment, you're going to feel a charge. You know, you're literally going to wow. feel a physical charge around money, and it will. And this is one of the things that I'm often trying to sh- um, encourage people to notice: is like what's actually happening inside of you. What are the physical sensations that these ideas are provoking within you? Because if you can start to really get with that, your relationship not just with money but with everything else will start to change. So, for example, someone who has is in like I said, dire straits with money, when they think, when the thought impulse of money comes through their, again, like prefrontal cortex, for example, what's going to happen is they start to hold on to it and their ideas about that or how they're holding on to that thought or that electrical impulse is actually um, creating a kind of a signature, okay? So what happens is, you you'll feel it in your body mm. so people will feel it in a very specific part of their body and they'll feel ten, usually it'll be like some it could be tightness it could be clenching it could be some other kind of discomfort in your physical body and most people when they feel things like that they don't even notice that that's actually what's happening but they feel really gnarly and so most of the time when you're feeling that way you just want to go away from it you want to escape or you like create another narrative of I've got to create more or you just run out or you get something to eat or you you know you talk to somebody or whatever but you distract yourself from that physical sensation if instead you actually have the courage to sit with that it will it's a great teacher Mm. so you can learn a lot of things from it Um, it will eventually move into another part of your body it'll start the energy will start to transmute now again if you want, I'll go into more of the science around this, but this is actually a physical phenomenon. So the more you start paying attention to that and you start realizing and really kind of disassociating with like money as a separate entity, it's not separate from you. Nothing is. That's, that's an illusion that we, that we stay in to play this game that we're playing that we call, I'm Victor, I'm Courtney. 
okay? So again, understanding some of these, these principles, and it's an awareness. So lots of times people think, oh, I have to go out and get it. No, actually, you just have to become aware that you are it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tuning that dial. Mm. As well. Yeah, it's one way to think of it. <laughs> what would you feel when you're getting closer to your authentic self when you're tuning that dial? Mm. Is it a sense of calm? Oh, I feel it like, well, I, when I'm really in that, I just don't kind of want to go anywhere else because you just feel like you're, you just feel, I mean, I recently, for example, I, I, I'll go back to the previous discussion that we were having to kind of bring it all together. So I was giving a talk in Colombia to about a thousand women entrepreneurs and, um, before I took the stage, the woman who was introducing me, one of like person I totally adore, Tatiana Arias, she was up there and she was sort of listing sort of my accolades and things in my career and all the stuff. And I was backstage very intentionally not listening because I didn't want any of that to take the stage. I wanted that to take the stage, yes, but in service, as I was saying, to that force source energy, which is this thing that you're talking about that you call authentic. Um, or that we might call authentic. It's the alignment with that, like I said, that force that beats your heart, that pumps the blood through, to your vital organs, et cetera. And when I went out there, it was literally like something took over, but yet I was fully present. I was fully aware. It's not like, oh, I had, you know, I was... Uh, from, a, from a superficial standpoint, I think it would have made me nervous hearing all that stuff. Uh, oh, oh, so in the past, I love what you're saying. So in the past, it would have made me nervous and I would have thought, oh, I need to perform, Yeah, right? Exactly. There's an expectation now, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, I talk about this a lot in my book because we're all raised a lot, not all of us, but a lot of us, a lot of us, especially in America, are raised to like perform, mm. you know, like um, monkeys in a circus, right? In a way. I mean, I don't mean that they, that, that happens all, all the time intentionally. It's like, oh, do that thing that you do you know, for Johnny, like, you know, make them laugh. You're so good at this or sing or whatever. And we, when we get that sort of uh, approval and approval is a drug. Yeah. And actually, if you look at like, lots of times people think it's social media, that's a drug. It's not social media. It's the, it's the approval. That's the drug. That's the drug. Should we even be trying to get approved from ourselves? Um, I don't know so much it's about approval as it is, like I said, this alignment with this force source energy because that is always there for you and it will always provide the answers that you need. And I know that might sound like woo-woo or blind faith, but I just want to qualify that for a moment because if you look at it, we actually apply this blind faith to 99.999999. I don't even know how much percent of our day-to-day. We actually have to for our survival. Like your heartbeat for one? Or? Right. So like, and not only what's happening internally, so like, I'm not going to bed being like, is my heart beating? Is it not beating? Is it beating? Is it not beating? Just in the same way that I'm not going to bed being like, is the sun going to rise tomorrow? Mm. Like, is that going to happen? I don't do that. Or most of us don't do that we rely on it. We know that it will show up. Mm. Just like we also know the seasons are going to change, but we get so surprised. Like when the seasons in our life change, like, oh, oh my God, I, I have a dry spell in my career, whatever. It's like, oh yeah, it's, it's winter. Like chill, you know, sit by the fire a little bit, you know? It's like, but no, oh my God. And so we take this 0.00000 whatever 1% mm-hmm. that's left over and we're like, I got to control that. I got to make it happen. I have to hustle 
like, okay, maybe you like to hustle, but like, if you don't, if you're not really enjoying that, then just take a step back and just notice like, how much of this could I, could I delegate? Mm. And the reality is you can delegate all of it. But that is the scariest thing because we're taught, no, 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 you have to control. So we live in this very precarious illusion of control. And the reason that we live in that is because it makes us feel some semblance of safety in a world that is constantly changing. But what we do know is that change is the only constant and that it will keep changing. And that who your best friend is tomorrow may not be your best friend. Uh, or sorry, yesterday. I'm sorry. I always, my li- lines get scrambled uh, with space time. The space time continuum is really flimsy <laughs> for me. Um, but anyway, so, you know, we don't have those real reassurance we just don't um, and we cannot but what we do know is there's this force source energy and the ways in which it's transforming is not for us to know on it on an as an individual form of human consciousness right um, what is our opportunity is to as much as possible really align with it and the way you know you're aligned is that you feel good like if you leave this conversation and you don't feel better than when you came into it then I didn't do my job what's feeling better Oh, good. Excellent question. Do you feel like everything's tingling and all cylinders are firing and you're like, I, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about from a perspective of me. I'm talking about a perspective of you. Did you come into something? Because anyone coming to your podcast is someone coming there because they know that there's some truth and some real truth that's being shared here hopefully that's one of the things i think that draws people to podcasts like this these is that they want they're craving we're all craving for this truth we're all craving for this sense of connection and the farther away we get from it the worse we feel so if you listen to something like this or you go somewhere or you talk to someone and you actually don't have um you know you actually leave it with maybe you can describe it in any way you want again there we go into the concepts like what do i mean by that so Lots of times we might say, oh, I feel angry, or I feel sad, or I feel guilty. Those are concepts. They are mental constructs. Mm. Your body doesn't know what you're talking about. What your body knows is a constriction, a tightness, a sense of yuckiness, a sense of expansion, a sense of openness, a sense of excitement. Mm. And, And again, it's a felt sensation. It is not a label or a concept. Mm. So the you will feel, you will just feel, I feel lighter. I feel whatever, however you want to describe it is irrelevant. It's, it's, you feel yeah, it or you just don't. Just trying to bring some objectivity yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. By the way, I love this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not doing an the, ad for this, but like, time he had this. Had I know, I had this one time before in Texas and I was just so grateful that Victor pulled it out of the fridge. It made me so happy. See, that's what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, everything's lighting up. With, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know where you want to, where do you want to take this? <laughs> it's your show, man. <laughs> what are we, what are we curious about these days? Yeah, what's it, what's it like about? being like, gonna, oh, can I not take that off? What's it like, uh, <laughs> you can if you want. What's it like, uh, speaking in front of large crowds? I love it. I really love it. It's sort of my like I think favorite thing to do. But it wasn't before always. before going mm. on. Like you would you would ask God to just use you as a vessel. Mm. And from my perspective, that I think that superficially would help calm my anxiety. Mm. 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 And whatever happens, happens in a way. Mm. Um, but there's there's still a lot of prep work that goes into that. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of preparation for my talks, 100%. Is it like every word, enunciation, pauses, are those all, I know for some they're all planned, but how Mm -hmm. conversational, like this podcast is like all conversational, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really structured. I might have a brief outline, but uh, it's usually just a chronological order of your journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And some, I don't even have that for some, right? So Mm -hmm. for you, uh, what's it been like? Well, it definitely started out like that, like learning all the tricks of the trade. Mm-hmm. And I think one, the only way you can really improvise is if you know the dance, mm-hmm. you know, you know, kind of, you, again, it's that, I don't know where that saying comes from, but the only way to break the rules is to know them or yeah. something like that. Um, and I have definitely studied speaking. I've been in, you know, I've been in positions where I've had to do a lot of it. And I, when I went from actually performing and this is a key concept that's kind of come up a few times also in our conversation on the way over here, from performing to aligning, like I was talking about, really aligning to what's, how the formless wants to express itself through this form. And I want to be mindful of, like, when I use the word God, that's my way of, I mean, it's my predominant way. I have many ways of talking about this force source energy that I'm referring to. And so the more I feel like Okay, I'm prepared for sure. Sometimes I haven't even, I've given talks where I wasn't, I didn't think I was prepared in the sense that like for that particular talk, maybe I didn't spend as much time mm. figuring out how I was aligning things, but I was, I've, I've been preparing for those talks my entire life, you know? So mm. in the sense that like my entire life goes into what I'm talking to you about right now, which again is just a snapshot of where my consciousness is right now. It's going to be somewhere else tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's going from performance. Like you could think, oh, I, for example, we've all heard those speakers who enunciate everything perfectly and have the timing right and maybe say the funny thing, but they don't impact us. They don't leave us with a lasting impression. And Maya Angelou actually said it so beautifully. She said, people will never remember what you say, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And that I think is the ultimate, like every interaction you have, you know, I had a couple really bizarre interactions yesterday. I went to the bank. Mm. This is a good story. I went to the bank and I brought my, my, um, my sister-in-law's, uh, I brought her huge truck. Like I was driving this huge SUV. Mm. Right. And I went in the bank and I saw these two elderly women, uh, trying to, well, they weren't totally making their, they were on opposite ends of the, of the parking lot and they were sort of meeting and, I, I stopped and I waited for them to go and one of the women just kind of angrily like said go you know so I so I went ahead to the parking and since it's such a big vehicle I had to kind of like adjust a little bit so I like pulled it in but then I pulled it back out and as I was pulling it back in to park better I uh, this woman literally comes up to the side of the car and she bangs on the window and she's like the same woman who you know rushed me forward was like you aren't looking where you're going and I'm like wow, I'm so sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And she just was so angry and she kept kind of like going off of me. I was like, oh my God, you know, like what if I hit this lady with this car, right? So I'm sort of like, oh my God, what's going on? And maybe I shouldn't have taken, I, I was feeling very good about driving this big SUV. But anyway, I get out of the car and there's these two Indian women and they come up to me and they say, you know, that wasn't your fault. That woman like kind of raced up to your car and it's okay. Do you want a hug? I'm not kidding. 
I was like, wow. and I said, where are you from in India? Because one of my closest friends is from New Delhi. And I'm like, where are you from? And she's like, I'm from Mumbai. And the other one started telling me. So we had this like great interaction. I was just like, look, you can change someone's entire day by just a kind word. Or like, I literally did hug both of them. And we ended up having like a conversation in the bank. Um, but you can change someone. And if you, you know, it's like if that beautiful poem, if even one life has lived or has breathed easier because I have lived that is to have succeeded. Mm-hmm. I think that was Elliot. Anyway, don't quote me on that one, but the quote is right. Anyway, so so that's what I'm saying. Like, You don't have to go out and do these like huge things, but the impact that you have on others, this was actually Jim Carrey. He said, the impact you have on others is the greatest currency you have or something like that. Jim, I'm so sorry. I love you to death. So if I got that wrong, forgive me. But anyway, it's true. It's true. To, to be a contrarian... Uh, do we have to do anything? No. With our time? No. Nothing. Nothing. Like but we don't you have will to try to make the world well, better. Well, I love the fact that you're asking this question because this is the hang up. Like, and this is such an important. I'm really glad you're bringing this up. <laughs> Thank you, Victor. Um, because there's this idea that if you're not ambitious, like there's something wrong with you, and you should be ambitious, and like ambition is a good thing. But actually, ambition really gets in our way a lot of the times. What do I mean by that? I am totally about to botch this one up. So whoever does know where I'm quoting from and whatever, but the, the, the idea is there. Hold, stay with me. Stay strong with me. Um, I, I want to say it was some sort of Chinese philosopher. I'm pretty sure about that part, but I can't remember who. Sorry, wherever you are. Um, but the idea is like a, a, um, an archer. Okay. An archer who shoots with all of his passion and his... Uh, skill will shoot perfectly but the minute there's a brass buckle and this was a long time ago as the prize the archer becomes less skilled right if there's a prize of gold he becomes blind like he can't even see the target anymore that's ambition ambition robs you of your sight it robs you of what is just inherently yours you're talking about doing like not needing to do anything but you will want to do something it's no longer pure yeah, you'll want, well, I mean, oh, that's a great word because pure actually comes from clear, okay? So pure, what it means like in, in its original meaning is clear. So that's the perfect word for it. Like, are you clear? Are you untainted? Are you un- by, um, you know, by um, concepts of like what you should be doing or what, yeah. whatever that is? And again, that's when the doing happens through you. So when you say you don't have to do anything, you will want to do something when you are, really aligned with this that'll just happen through you like and that's where I think people get really off track sometimes because they're like I have to do all these things and there's merit to that and I talk a little bit about that too in the book like the efforting there's a lot of merit to it but I think when we're really really in this we don't we yeah we experience the doing very differently so you don't have to you want to does that make sense yeah is there is there a better word than ambition then well, you know, and I mean, okay. So how do we balance mm. not having and not being ambitious with creating? And and I know you said you don't really uh, subscribe to this, but like the vision, mm. no vision, and just try to think about your, oh, no. just try to think about <laughs> getting closer to your alignment. Mm. No, oh, no, I'm glad you asked me to clarify that because I do believe in vision. Mm. You know, mm. um, there's a beautiful saying in the Bible: "Without a vision, the people perish." Mm. 
Uh, but I just don't think that it needs to be a very specific material outcome. Mm. And you can play with that. And it is fun to play with that. Yeah. I did that for years. My first book is all about how you do achieve those material ambitions. Uh, you know, So I'm not against ambition. Ambition is not... Um, you know, we're using one word to describe a concept that you could, you could interchange that word with the concept of inner motivation. So when we normally hear about ambition is like, you have to make it happen no matter what happens, no matter how tired you are, no matter what. You don't even listen to yourself. You listen to the goal, okay? Mm, and okay, that's okay. what I'm talking about. That kind of ambition, which is what's commonly referred to as ambition, is um, I think can oftentimes lead people off track in the best case scenario, in the worst case scenario, it can lead to a lot of um, really uncomfortable situations for yeah. you, so, like hypertension and um, all that kind of stuff. What comes to mind then, uh, more accurately in my head, is like external motivation. Mm. So on the way here, we were talking about um, it could be your parents, uh, it could be this maybe promise of money or a certain lifestyle that externally motivates you to do something is that what you mean by that can blind you oh yes yes i it's yeah it's when you don't know what you actually what you're again what i'm hesitant to use some of these words without qualifying them but like they're that force percentage is like this formless energy yeah that is the same stuff that, like I said, is beating your heart, right? It, it's designed, or you're designed rather, to be the physical expression of that. Mm. So when you're in that, you, won't, you don't feel the efforting in the same way as when it's like, I have to do this thing so that someone approves of me, thinks this way about me, I did the thing I'm supposed to do, I should do, etc. Again, you're just going to feel very differently um, physically, actually, as physical yeah. felt sensations. Yeah. Which reminds me, uh, in this book, uh, you shared your experience of Satori. Mm -hmm. um, can you kind of walk us through that experience? And, and I'm sure you did a great job, but I'm sure it was hard to put words to that experience. Mm. I, I, so it's funny. I did not think I would ever share that writing mm. anywhere. And uh, the way that came about, actually, because I... I, I talk about this at the beginning in the intro too. Like, I was, uh, I didn't have plant medicine, or it wasn't like something that was induced. I was going to ask that. I was like, no, I, yeah. I actually, I had never tried plant medicine up mm. until time. I think plant medicine is great. And I think it has fantastic healing potentialities. I, I do. I, from some things I've heard and read and studied, and I think a lot of what Michael Pollan is doing is very interesting. Yeah. I'm very fascinated by it. Um, but at that time, I had never experimented with that or any any other substances really uh, except for maybe trying I tried pot a handful of times I think I like part of me thought I was like allergic to it um, at one point and then not, I had another not, experience not that, that I kind of liked you know, it plant medicine or psilocybin <laughs> or any of that or is a is a panacea for any of the issues that what the world is experiencing do you think the world would be a little better off if someone microdosed a bit of a uh I medicine. definitely think from the findings that I'm seeing and also going back, like not just Michael Pollan, but a lot of Ram Dass's research, a.k.a. Richard Alpert, uh, you know, and um, who was the other one? Timothy Leary. Mm -hmm. uh, the studies that they were doing were, I, I believe, groundbreaking. I mean, they were kicked out of a lot of those universities to then be brought back later as like, you know, Professor Emeritus or something. But that research in 
is so I think it's it could potentially be a huge healer for yeah. a lot of the I want to say like con, collective consciousness or in, again I'm I don't want to get too esoterical I'm going to bring it back so that I believe actually is a very potentially very powerful healer if brought in in the right ways although I don't know what those are and I'm definitely not an expert but some of the things that I have been told and that I have seen um, have been very powerful and yeah. and I, I do think there's a lot there but yeah during that experience of Satori or awakening uh, I in before that I had never I hadn't experimented with that so was I, it was it through breath work or what led you to it that's a good question I try to de- deconstruct it a little bit in the book um, I had had other experiences too but this one that I'm talking about in the book actually lasted for two days mm. so I was in this I don't want to say altered state of consciousness, probably in the truest state of consciousness, mm. but it was like, I, I was desirely, like I, it was such a, oh God, and that, I was so that, blissful. That being said, like, yeah. why isn't it sustainable? Good question. Um, what came through to me, and I want to answer your original question too, of like how that writing about that experience, um, what it was like writing about it. But the thing about living your life that way or what like I said what came through because toward the end of that experience that one lasted for two days and what came through for me was I this message was coming through that I would never be relatable to anyone ever again like if I stayed in this state of no desire and no thought and no uh you know just like everything was so blissful it's just like I didn't feel any sense of you know guilt or responsibility or any of that I just felt so free I felt so free and it was like such a blissful feeling but at the same time like I couldn't say anything I couldn't talk because there was no purpose for talking I instantly understood what other what was going through other psyches like it was it was really a beautiful wild experience I mean if I told you the whole thing because in the book there's only part of that writing but that writing was actually just streamed through me the writing in the book and that part of the book, it didn't, it, no part of it came from like, oh, I'm going to sit Afterwards. down and try to figure this out. It came right after literally like a download. Were you, where were you? Italy, here? I was in England. England. Okay. In England. Yeah. Were, you, were you a professor at one point? I was. I, I, I also <laughs> moonlighted as a professor and a waitress. Um, I've done a lots of... I've was had that more simultaneously? In, uh, no. Okay. But I... I that, would, that would make me even cooler, probably. But no. I, uh, I did. I was, a pro, I was a professor for the University of Iowa. Wow. But they, had, they were working with this consortium of universities. So I was teaching for a lot of different, like University of Oregon. And it was all Big Ten U.S. universities. And uh, yeah, I was, a, I was a professor. Mm. Yeah, in the MBA program. Um, that was a long, long time ago. <laughs> long, long many, time many, ago. Many, many lifetimes. Yeah. Um, so then with, through the awakening, mm-hmm. uh, this bliss, what, uh, I guess, brought you back to earth? I'm like, am I going to get a chance to take a sip of my topo, topo chico? Chico? It's so funny. Yeah. I just pronounce this like Italian, but it would be chico. Anyway. I love it. I, and yeah. I also want to know like how, how long it took you to become fluent. Oh, I actually, I actually picked that up pretty darn quick and not to be like, but languages, um, languages, I, I really dig languages. So like, I, I don't know, I just really get in there. What other languages do you Uh, speak? I speak French really well. I speak Spanish really well. Was that since high school or was it Spanish in high school? No, no, I took Spanish in high school and actually, um, my dad spoke fluent Spanish, but he would never speak to any five of us in Spanish because he was, I, I, yeah, he wasn't very proud of like his background oh, okay. and his ethnical background. And so 
uh, he he never ever ever spoke Spanish to us. Um, but I still remember when I was young and I would pronounce the words. And my dad would be like, "Oh wow, you actually say them right. You know, you don't you don't have an accent." Yeah. And um, and I I kind of think I'm a little bit of a shapeshifter, so I have this mm. sort of. I don't know the way I'm designed. Um, yeah. So like, for instance, even in Italy, I live up north. So I have a Veneto accent when mm. I speak Italian. But if I go down south for a little bit or even central Italy, my accent changes. And I'm not trying to do that. It just doesn't feel right to speak to them. Sure. Like in any other way. So it's a weird sort of shapeshifter thing. Uh, and it's not like you're trying. No, my God. No. Yeah. And actually, I, I got so frustrated by it. want to be perceived certain... authentically, right? Oh, God. You know, I used to be like, who the hell am I? I was like, what the heck? You know, I just things would change in mannerisms. Like, I pick them up, but I don't want to. You know, they. I remember them doing this leadership training back when I was at Vanity Fair Corporation, and they were talking about mirroring, right? And so you have these neurons in your brain, right, that mirror others' neurons, right? So, the, and this, again, is so fascinating from a quantum perspective, but... I'll, I'll keep it under control. Um, but anyway, you, we have these mirror neurons, right? And basically what they say is like, you're smiling, I smile. Mm, so actually mm. a good sign of a sociopath is like, if you smile, and they, they don't. just don't <laughs> smile. <laughs> or like they say this about yawning, right? Like a sociopath will not yawn if they see you yeah, yawn. Right, and so it's right. like, be careful if like, you know, it's, it's kind of a joke, but kind of not. Actually yawning is so miraculous. Please yawn. Everyone listening, that's one thing it's I would say. You. Yawn, yeah. yawn as much as you can. Okay. Anyway, so I digress. Uh, where were we? Right. We were talking well, about... <laughs> I know. Now I got I on yawning, I took, so I took, I took part of me is thinking like we had pizza before this, so part of me is like, wait like, a second. Time for a nap, I know. Exactly? I, I took you down a path of like mm. multiple languages, but oh, I guess right. I, I also wanted to, uh, I think I asked you how oh, you I came got... back to Earth from the awakening. Like why oh. you had no responsibilities, no desires, you just felt free. And why come back? Oh my gosh, yeah. I tell you, I like I said, spent two full days in that um, frequency. And it was funny, my friend's daughter, who kind of isn't all that social with me, or she wasn't so much all the time, but like she came in my room and she sat on my bed and her friend came and sat on my bed too because I was staying with this friend of mine in London. And they were just close to me and I was like, humanity is like bringing me back like i don't know the human experience is like calling me back it that's the closest i can come to express why and i slowly started to like come back in those ways Mm. that i had been for others you know previously but it was very um it, it, it there definitely was like i i definitely and i wasn't it wasn't like i was making a decision it wasn't like yeah. I was making a decision. It was almost like this part just was like, you. Um, if you stay like this, you're not going to be able to do any of this, like what we're doing right now. And like, were you eating through the? No, two days? I had. I didn't. I didn't eat and I didn't drink. I didn't even have water. My friend was like, "You have to drink water." I was like, "Were you? You were by yourself or with a friend?" My friend was there, and I was mostly just by myself. Which reminds me, when we were talking about plant medicine, we're not saying take just start oh, dro- no. dropping acid no. or plant medicine no. left and right. Yeah, research is usually done under supervision oh, and, yeah. and a guide. I think, so. Yeah, I I have some friends who are doing work in that field, and um, and also just exposing themselves. And I'm very. I think that there's a lot of potential there, but I definitely, like I said, definitely not an expert, definitely not advising anyone to, to go for that do route. We, but Sorry, did you, I, you might've shared it, but like what put you in that state in the first place? 
Oh, okay. So we, yeah. So this is the thing. I feel like I keep, like, there's all these like open doors here, and whoever's listening, like we'll come back at some point. Victor's going to come to Italy. We're going to have the conversation there, right, Victor? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Si, certo, ovvio. Okay. So, uh, so what got me into that? So the closest I have come to deconstructing that experience was, I had actually been studying brainwave frequencies. I had been studying alter, so-called altered states of consciousness. I had been studying um, a lot of things in like physics, metaphysics, um, all of these sorts of concepts that I was trying to really understand and figure out how do I do that? Because I was so enthralled by, um, you know, being, for example, in theta with my eyes wide open. I wanted to know how to be in delta with, you know, like having this conversation. Yeah, book, and I yeah. wanted to understand I wanted to understand a lot of that and I really wanted to, I wanted to experience it. So I did have a kind of a burning desire for that. And then I also had been doing all, quite a lot of meditation and like Vipassana or what kind no, of, no, it wasn't Vipassana. Oh, okay. No, it was literally just like, I'm sitting in a room oh. and I'm just, you know, chilling. Like silent, Although silent retreats I have, all, I have lots of different interpretations on meditation. I actually just submitted some answers for, um, live strong about meditation. Cause I actually think our, our, you know, definitions and ideas of meditation can often be very erroneous, but that's another conversation. But let's say rather than meditation, I would just say like deep presence and deep listening. Okay. I'm going to actually reframe. I'm going to call it that. Um, so I had been in that, but, but, and this is really crucial. And this is chapter, this is all in chapter five of my book is I gave up in a sense. Like I was just like, Sorry, I hope I can swear on this podcast. Um, you can delete that, like beat that part out. Remember what get minute out. this is. Um, I was like, I'm just not going to get it. I'm just not, I'm, it's not going to happen for me. And I sort of like gave up, but I got really silly. And this has happened to me so many times. I have had this happen to me on multiple occasions where then I've had major, major breakthroughs because I had all this efforting. And then it was the moment that I relaxed around the efforting that the response could come in and that just, it was like... Boom. And it's happened to me so many times now that I think this is the closest I've come to deconstructing it is like you have to actually get playful, like relaxed, playful with it. Um, but I do believe that the effort is a. I just got to share. You were yeah. you were the most playful on the dance floor uh, at the wedding. Yeah, you, like, she was all up it, in it, guys. I was on it. I, yeah, you guys are going to have to get some footage in here of that. Did you get some pictures and some? I know you did. Oh, that's blackmail material right there. Blackmail. In the best way. Good, good, good. Um, no, I was having so much fun. And my nephew was actually throwing me around the dance floor. Did you get any of that? Because I was like, oh, did somebody please get this? I was literally like. Two, two inches or like I don't even know anyway I, I'm saying inches but I, my brain thinks in centimeters so anyhow yeah and so that's the closest I got but it was so funny because so many times it's just been relaxing into it but as I was saying I think the efforting is important and if you look at any of kind of like the major discoveries and revelations that we've seen throughout history of great so-called great minds I'm not you know, to compare but um at all but it's like you see that there's this massive amount of efforting and then there's a relaxation around it so you'll often hear of great discoveries happening right before um, right in, in sleep states for example mm, or like, like when someone i used to joke that like my greatest ideas came to me in the in the loo you know like in the bathroom because yeah. it would just be like Shower oh it was like i finally just too. chilled out enough for the thing to come through and actually this is mm. how a lot of my writing is coming through now not in so much in this book unfortunately <laughs> like i wish i, I knew this 
stuff before. Um, but now it's like a lot of things like interview questions and stuff. I literally just relay, I lay down, I get in a totally relaxed state and I allow the question, I sit fully with the question and the answer just starts to come through perfect. Like it's perfect. And I just dictate it in my phone and it goes out. But I couldn't do this before. Huh. So I really couldn't. And I, because again, I couldn't. I, Courtney, couldn't do that. And I, Courtney, can't do that. But this force source energy can. And so I sort of relax into it with all of the knowledge that I've accumulated up until this point. All of that goes into, to, you know, again, presented as a persona, as a, as a character. But it's, um, it's, some, it's coming from somewhere else now, which is awesome. Uh, and did it uh, transcend, like, the senses? Or was there like a visual or a smell or a sound attributed to it, a bodily feeling attributed to it. To the writings or to... To that feeling of awakening. Oh. Oh. Oh, my God. No, it did not. It, or, well, or just a stream, a stream of, like, consciousness flowing, and you're just like, oh! It was like, the perfection of everything. Like, I was literally walking around, and this will sound like I was on something, because I could see the geometrical um you know i could see i could see that in everything and everyone i i i know this really sounds crazy and i tell you i honestly didn't want i wasn't i did not think i was going to put this in the book i never thought i would talk about this in fact i was on another podcast recently where i was talking about another experience which is not in the book which i have never shared publicly Mm. and um but i have had multiple experiences like this so I was talking about it there to be like i can't believe someone like me because you know corporate background and all these things like I'm talking about this stuff, but it it's so beautiful, and I felt like this is the time, you know, to to start sharing this. So um, from this perspective, because you know, you are the drug, like you know, you are the medicine, and um, it's it's waking up to that. And yes, to answer your question, I was it was such a deep sense of bliss with everything. Like I remember there was this point, and um, I was taking a shower, and I literally felt like I could feel every drop and I was just in such it was just such a luxury but I remember pulling the towel up between you know my hands and my face and I I actually sighed out like this is why I love to be human like I could feel the heat being generated between my hands the towel and my face and I was like this 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 sensation this is why this is this is it you know and it was such a wild because I was fully aware in a way I had never been aware before so it wasn't Mm. like oh, I'm tripping out or like whatever. It was like total and complete presence and awareness and peace and bliss and like all the things. Was it singular or was (laughs) it tangential? In how do you In the sense of uh, your thoughts can just go on tangents, like this conversation. Or Mm -hmm. or was it like a singular like hyper-focus on one thing? Did you feel like you were directing anything or you you became truly like an empty vessel? I was just in harmony with everything. And I think that's actually how we're supposed to live, but we just have gotten so far removed from it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're in harmony. We don't ha- we don't have to do this hurting each other, you know, or just like racing to things or whatever. It was just like everything. It, but even that can be. You can see the beauty in it. Like I, I didn't have any. You know, even when I was around people, because I remember getting back to my friend's place, and this actually started. This whole thing started on a train. Um, and when you hear her tell the story, it's even more bizarre than when I tell it because she was witnessing a lot of this. And um, But I remember getting back there and it was like, I couldn't really be around people because I could 
hear all their thoughts and like non-thought and I could see all their tendencies to like prove and everything that I had spent lifetimes to kind of try to overcome. I, it was so, I was so acutely aware of all of it, but in a total non-judgment place, like there was no part of me that was like, it was just awareness. I was just pure awareness. Do you think there are levels to that? Levels to Satori? I don't really buy into like the idea of levels because again, it sort of, I, it was, um, Oh God, I love him so much. Alan Watts, he would say like, my guru is better than your guru. You know, it's like, I don't think we should, we need to think in, um, in terms of levels or even like we were saying early, like arriving, you're already it, you're already there. So I think where we get hiccups is again, thinking like, oh, well, first I have to do this thing and this other thing and all these other things. Those things can be great. In fact, I've done a lot of that. And I even talk about a lot of that even in this second book because you know, there is an efforting, there is a thinking, like, if you don't think you're there, you don't think you're it, there is, you know, that period of, like, trying to discover that piece. But once you've discovered it, then you start to allow a lot of these really profound experiences that actually are available to you. So it's like on or off. Hmm. Hmm. You're either aware or unaware. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to, yeah. It's very simple. See, like, uh, you know, I was saying before, I was quoting Da Vinci, the simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. You know, one of the things I say in the book is like, you're not a paying, a paying attention. We're not paying attention to our attention. And you just kind of nailed it right there. Like, you're either aware or you're not aware. You're aware of what the truth of what you are. You're not. And it's okay to not be. And it's totally cool. Like if you yelled at somebody this morning when you got out of the car, you know, like those ladies, I mean, like it's fine. Like it doesn't say anything about you. It says something about, um, it says something about, I guess just like how, um, yeah, how connected or where you are or not. Yeah. So we, that's one way. As interconnected as we are, uh, there are, it could still feel like the world is on fire sometimes. Mm -hmm. Whether at the micro level in Chicago, it could be, you know, at the time, Black Lives Matter, it could be all the carjackings that go on in the city, it could be the mayoral race, Um, it could be when NASCAR was in town. Um, At the global level, it could be Brexit, the pandemic, whatever. Ukrainian war, right? That's that's still going on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with all the tragedy that's going on, um, is is there a way not to be too not to? I don't know. Now we're just getting prescriptive, but like, should we be still like? How do we remain hopeful? And should we even remain hopeful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, or do we just be apathetic? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I think, for the most part, if not all of it, I subscribe to whatever's in your control. Mm-hmm. But then there are some people that feel like they have to care about everything. And, and that's not wrong either. But to, to the extent where they sacrifice their own well-being. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a very individual, subjective question, but like, how much should you care about everything that's going on in the world. There's so much to care about. I think the greatest thing you can do for the world, for humanity, is is to be the healthiest, most vibrant, and you know, version of yourself. 
And I also think we don't need to be as, um, gosh, I could go in so many different directions with this. <laughs> um, but I just, I think that for me, the simplest answer to that is like, it can get so overwhelming. But again, if you can bring it back to like, well, how am I showing up? Because you're a cell in the body too. And if you find something really, really offensive, it also means that that's something you got to like, you know, sit with as well as, again, like a sensation. Um, because lots of times we think like this thing's bad or this thing's the other, this, this thing is good, this thing's right, this thing's wrong. But I think that actually transcending that to see like this is all part of the consciousness that we are. It's in us. And when you can sort of face the music of that, then the music starts to change. Um, but I think denying it, resisting it, getting angry at it can oftentimes perpetuate a lot of, you know, like what we're seeing versus, and I am not talking about like, oh, just be happy and smile and pretend yeah, like everything's but like, great. By not being angry, it doesn't mean you're apathetic to no, it. No, but also you can also get angry. Like that's mm. okay. And I think that's one of the things that people don't, um, they don't realize like there's so much beauty actually in the entire spectrum of our emotions, but yet we are taught. And I just had a, a few conversations about like a few interviewers were talking to me about toxic, toxic pos positivity. Mm, oh my God, mm. now my mouth is not moving anymore. Um, they were talking to me about toxic positivity and um, yeah, I was just saying like, it's, it's seeing the beauty in like in the entire spectrum, but also, you know, really being with it on your own too, in ways that you can start to, um, receive what it's there to show you, what it's there to teach you, what it's there to offer you. Like sometimes people say bad weather, but I don't know if you've ever watched a storm come in and the absolute majesty of it. Like, why do we call it bad? Ooh. It's freaking amazing. Oh. Like you don't sit and watch the ocean and say like, oh, that's a good wave. That wave behaved. Like that wave came in in a really soft way. Oh my God, that's like a crashing wave. It's the worst wave I've ever seen. Like you, we don't do that, right? Um, but yet we say like this emotion is okay and that emotion's not. Now I'm not saying don't emotionally like just know how to do that as an adult. But what I am saying is like find the safe spaces where you can explore the spectrum of your humanity because it's being human and like, and, mm. and find the ways that you can actually just enjoy the absolute brilliance of it because I, I think when we try to say like, oh, I don't want to look at this or I don't want to or whatever or that's a bad thing or whatever, we are closing ourselves off to the teaching opportunities available to us through everything and everyone. Mm. Yeah. Uh, another storm metaphor I've heard recently is uh, we can't control when a storm rolls in, but you can control when you carry an umbrella. Mm. Mm. But I do uh, agree that... Uh, Storms can be beautiful too. Um, and uh, maybe it's just a change in perspective or just allowing you to feel all the emotions and yeah. uh, not just the happy ones. Well, and it's also this like obsessive need to control. Like mm. you, you control when you have an umbrella, maybe, yeah, maybe not. And then I mean, like, the storm you might can have rip it. The umbrella I, that's what hands. I was just about to say. <laughs> like you could get hailstorm and there's like a bunch of holes in it. Like experience it. Like, I, yeah. Again, another thing, like I've been under just torrential downpour. I used to literally, this is crazy, this is nuts. I used to, years and years and years ago, when I lived in Chicago for a brief period, I used to 
I did it at least once or twice. I ran through the streets of Chicago barefoot under torrential rain, mm. um, like when it would downpour because no one would be in the city, and I would just be mm. running through the Heads streets. Yourself. And I still remember like the sensation, like how amazing that was, and just. Now I think about the idea of going barefoot in Chicago. I'm like, no, thank you. Um, the OCD in me is like, um, no. But at the time, I guess it was a little freer. Um, but yeah, it's uh, actually I should do that again. But okay, I digress once again. Uh, but yeah, so I think it's like, it's like, how do we actually enjoy all of it as much as we can yeah. um, while we're experiencing this? And it's not necessarily enjoy. And it's just feel right. Yeah, but that's exactly it. Because when I say enjoy, I don't mean like mm. smile all the time and oh, everything's great. Yeah, I yeah, literally yeah. mean like in, enjoy in the sense of like liter, you know, like go into the depths of yeah. that of of whatever that is. And that is like when I think of um, enjoyment, I think of like not necessarily like like this thing tastes good, but just like this is the whole. This is it. Like I'm living. You know what I mean? Right, and right. yeah, maybe enjoyment's not the right word, but yeah. I dig that. Uh, to come back more to a superficial level, I guess, like, tell me, tell me like, uh, how do you, why Italy? How did you end up there? Um, and how did you make it work? And if it was like pretty early on when the entrepreneurial journey started, you know, take us back there to the beginning of Italy. Yeah. Well, Italy's a long story, but what I will say is it's definitely one day at a time and it's definitely like I moved first to London. I did my postgraduate work there, uh, the London School of Economics many, many, many moons ago. And then I wrote my dissertation in France, in the south of France, in Toulouse. So wait, wait, was it an MBA and then a PhD? Or? No, no, I don't have a PhD. So was it an MBA? Yeah, it was MSc. MS- yeah, Master of Sciences. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, so I, yeah, I completed that program. And then I was, like I said, writing my dissertation, which I moved okay. to Toulouse in France for. And I had actually met my husband then, now my ex-husband, uh, I had met him there in London. Mm. So after France, I moved to Italy. He was from Italy. He oh, is from Italy. Yeah. Okay. okay. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you had a guide then when you went to Italy. I had what? A guide. A guide. Uh, yeah. I had many. Gu- <laughs> I have many guides. Is that not clear? I have many, many. They're all here. I'm just like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you guys separated, mm-hmm. what kept you there? Uh, well, um, many things, but most importantly, my daughter. So we, she's um, been raised there. And, you know, who knows? I mean, right now we're also talking about the idea of maybe moving back to the state. I mean, I just I don't know where life is going to take me. But at that time, it was the clearest decision. And so I'm still, yeah, I'm still living there. I think it's beautiful to see someone who is so flexible, uh, even as we get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm curious as to like if I'll ever become a curmudgeon and feel rigid uh, as far as like trying to change my ways for whatever the next generation is coming up with, whether it's technology or something else. Like I think that the the edge of it was maybe when NFTs started coming out. Just like, NFTs, what are NFTs? Oh God, I was the same. And I had a client who was like, NFTs. And we talked about it for like a number of sessions. I was just like, yeah, I'm way past my <laughs> yeah. the ability to speak uh, a handful of languages have you been able to wrap your head around certain concepts or explain other concepts better uh, or more effectively because you're multilingual mm, de- I think most definitely and but I've always had a love of language yeah and I'm a big uh, 
geek about etymology and the origins of words mm. and the origin of words. And I, I have often, you know, been very curious about why we use the words we use. And I'm also very, very aware mm. oftentimes of like the vibrational impact of the words that we use. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, in the beginning was the word. <laughs> so what, what was the original? Big, uh, like, there's, was there like a, a handful of originals? Like, whether it's like Greek, Latin, other? You know, I'm not sure. But like, does it all trace back to us to an original language or a handful of original languages? I mean, obviously you have you have Greek, you have Latin for sure. But you also have like the uh, on the other side of that, like you have languages that are almost devoid of you know grammar i mean we have so many languages in the world i think um you know yeah most of what in the english language and with these romance languages most of when you're looking at it from an etymological uh, etymological standpoint you're looking at greek you're looking at roman influences um but a lot of in english you get a lot of also more modern day French usages, like other languages as well, come in there and and become relevant in the ways that they transformed language as well. Um, But I just, again, I think it's just a curiosity of, you know, when you're just curious, like you. (laughs) You Do you find yourself explaining certain things in a certain language because it's more fitting? I find myself oftentimes speaking a language and not knowing that that's the one I was speaking. Like I, and I, I, sometimes I'm like, oh crap, like I just, like for example, I I went to this guy recently. I was just getting um, some a body treatment in by my brother's house, and um, for some reason, with this gentleman, like I always want to speak Italian. Like my brain just doesn't mm. want to speak to him in English, and I didn't even realize. Does he speak Italian? Well, no, but I didn't realize at the beginning that he wasn't native from here. Like when I first met him, but something inside me was like didn't want to like didn't initially go mm. to English and um and it's funny because I didn't even realize that until uh, this time going to him, I was like whoa you know I actually my brain doesn't want want to speak to you in English or something weird like that so I have I have strange hiccups like that and I often have times where I can find the perfect expression for something in another language or my brain will just say this is the expression and it won't match what I can find in another language yeah. potentially and so you know all those types of it, little which funny makes me think things. of a state of flow because you're not really thinking about it mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. um, are there certain circumstances or contexts where you notice to be in flow or where time kind of disappears mm. where things seem seamless Lots of times. I mean, I have a very, like I said, very bizarre relationship with time. <laughs> and I I think the more you live kind of full out, the more I have a very strange time paradox that is ever present for me, which is I will feel like something that happened yesterday happened lifetimes ago, but I'll also feel like it was a blink ago. So I have like this, almost like I lived so much life, like there was so much packed into that day or that week that I just feel like I've lived so much. It's so rich. Um, But again, it creates this really awesome time paradox because I'm feeling it in both ways simultaneously. I'm feeling it like that happened forever ago and I'm feeling it like it happened yesterday. So You're just so present. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's uh, the Dr. McGill who was on recently, uh, he said his daughters would sometimes say, Papa, I'm bored. And Mm. like, I I shared this in the last clip and... uh, he was like, don't say bored. That, that just means you're not curious enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, how could you be bored? But also the overstimulation creates this sense of, you know, like next thing, next thing. You know, there's a lot of... What's your take on routines? Do you like routine? I 
love routines and I also love breaking them up. But mm. I, I, I think both are essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I meant to say this in the beginning, but uh, I don't, I didn't know who said this about you, or if, if it was self-described, um, like eat, pray, love meets four-hour work week. It was definitely not self-described. <laughs> I could never come up with something that clever. <laughs> it was like a Harvard valedictorian slash best-selling author who said that about wow. my first book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does that resonate? Does that still resonate? Well, I thought it was really catchy and really well-written. Mm. Um, I don't know that I ever considered whether or not it resonates with my being. I know that um, I think that first book was the beginning of a really powerful heart journey for me, you know, into just figuring out what this expression is here. And it's a great, like, I think it's a really great starting place for someone who is really inundated and has a lot of extra distractions and sort of external, um, you know, things vying and people vying for their attention. Mm -hmm. So, Um, We've already mentioned a few concepts in the book. Uh, Is there anything that you want the audience to know before um, or anything else about the book? Uh, Which is, I don't know if we said it, give yourself permission. (laughs) Thank you. What what would you like people to know? (laughs) Oh, well. Be uh, confident, be happy, be (laughs) you. Yeah. Well, first, since you just read the subtitle, I think it's really important to, again, say like when I'm talking about being confident and being happy and being you, they're not like what we're used to. They're not. You'll see in the book that I'm this isn't like be boastful and know how to stand up and, you know, whatever that looks like. And even about happiness, it's like you can experience them so much joy in the deepest depths of darkest pain you just can't even imagine how glorious it is. Like I said, it's like watching those dark clouds come in and you just, the majesty of it. And I know that sounds kind of nuts, but it's an openness to it. So anyway, you'll see uh, if you read the book kind of where, what I really mean by some of those concepts. But the only other thing I might say is that people have the tendency to kind of move on to the next thing. Yeah. Like, somebody it by the way if you made it through this whole thing listening like and watching you're just a total rock star and we love you oh my god all of my hats like metaphorical and otherwise are coming off right now for you um but what i will say is the real work is in you just keep showing up until it's yours and this is what i wanted for this book is like i am not telling you anything that you don't know but this book might open up that awareness. And instead of maybe going from one book to another book to another thing, and like, what's the other thing that's going to save me or fix me or whatever that is, like, we can all go into that. But like, really getting with something, if it resonates with you, if this interview and this beautiful or conversation, I should say, rather, you know, resonates with you, um, go back to it. Because if there's something there, then you're going to find deeper depths of yourself the more mm. you revisit it. And I think that's where a lot of us, um, stay on the surface since you talked about being on the surface of these questions and they're very profound actually a lot of them but it's like that's where we miss um, we miss the mark sometimes in just going to that place where again we can we can create that deep listening and that's what this book is designed to do is like really remind you not to tell you anything just remember if uh, for your next live event uh, you were to create an interactive journal what are some prompts in that journal uh, that you would include. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is not, not a question. To, not to put ever. you too much on the spot, but. Uh. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I actually think a lot of that work, sometimes that self reflection work can. I think sometimes it almost 
overcomplicates things. Yeah. So I actually wouldn't want to give anyone a prompt. I would literally just be like, oh, can you, can you just sit with the creative void from which you come and which all of this comes? Can you just sit in that thing that you call silence? It's actually not silence, but I mean, what we describe as silence. Can you, can you be with yourself like for just a couple minutes a day? Like that would be there out of there you'll get your own prompts you know you'll 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 start to intuit understand potentially hear potentially see things it's different for everyone um but i would say like yeah really get with yourself mm-hmm. like that's it you don't need you don't need them um and then you do practice meditation um is there something that like a routine that you put yourself through or is it more of a mindfulness meditation? Mm. Is it anything to do with breath work? I think all those things are great, but yeah. I think meditation, like the most accurate definition that I would have for meditation, because lots of times we get, again, very prescriptive about this, like do this type of breath work and sit in this position and hold a mudra and repeat a mantra and like all those things can be great. There's, they're wonderful. Lots of them are very healing and potentially very powerful instruments. But when I'm talking about meditation, it's kind of like a grooving with like all that is, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like chill out here with you for a second. You know, I'm just going to be with this four source energy that I'm talking about in any way that feels good to you. And I think, again, the moment we start getting into a lot of modalities or, uh, you know, t- t- kind of technical it ways or things, or... It, it can, it can actually, I think lots of times it's, it can be great in the sense of like efforting until you get to this point. But you could also just jump to this point of like, I'm just going to just be in it. And like even in meditation, lots of times I will move around. I might even because meditation for me is just I'm just I'm just seeing how much I can feel this energy that I'm talking about. So, yeah, I mean, there's no one way I do oftentimes do kind of guided meditations that just come through me. Um, But I never know what's going to come through. And I do those sometimes with clients or sometimes in you know different different venues workshops and things when i do it but um but yeah i don't have a specific one or to to recommend or even is there yeah because i was gonna ask you to lead one but i guess we'll just leave it open for people (laughs) to fall through is there is there uh a live event or a workshop or anything else besides this book that you're hoping to manifest and you know if we were to have a big piece of cardboard on there <laughs> oh gosh I just you know honestly the most important thing for me right now is just staying um as much as I can just kind of returning to this awareness as as you know, throughout everything you know so it's not necessarily about a, a, a milestone mm. um but I, I really do love, I mean, kind of like my most favorite thing is the stage work. So I definitely mm. see a lot more of of that because I, I do do kind of more select talks right now and very specific and kind of quote unquote high level environments. And I'm like, I really love the ones where I'm getting a chance to talk to more people. So more private in the sense? No, I think I would actually welcome more public because I do a lot of private. Public, but public how many, speaking. is there an ideal number of guests? Yeah. No. I remember seeing like, especially during the pandemic, like Tony would do like, Tony Robbins would do like a virtual one. No, he just, mm-hmm. you just see screens mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. it's one, it's the reason why I'll never do uh, a remote interview or mm-hmm. a remote podcast. Um, you're, I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I've seen, I hear a Netflix special and uh, Tony and, uh, 
and his character comes alive and it's contagious and mm. it helps everyone else come alive. Um, mm. But uh, I kind of, the reason why I prefer this EMT class rather than teaching online is because there's a smaller number of students and an, it's a little bit more intimate and I, I actually see if they're doing well or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of live event? More of you speaking, more of a discussion? I mean, I'm open to all of it. I just like being yeah. uh, in person with people. I'm definitely yeah. also more in favor of being in a in a live venue. I do I do do some stuff online, but my definitely would prefer you, seeing would people. Would you ever like do one in Italy? I've had a lot of requests for that, and I've kind of avoided it because oh. I sort of prefer uh, to do most of my public speaking over on this side of the ocean. Why I do do that? some. Um, it's just kind of my little. You know, it's like I, your, when I go to Italy, home. it's kind of like, well, I mean, it's not my home is everywhere, I feel like. But it's um, it's more kind of like I go there sort of also like a, you know, kind of the recoup type of, you know, not necessarily out there as much. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I've done some some TV interviews and stuff like that over there. But I and but I kind of try to as much as possible keep it. Do you, you know, think do you think? Because I do. Uh, do you think it'd be a good environment for people to feel more comfortable to become that vessel to feel more if it was a certain type of retreat? Oh, oh gosh, yeah, it's a great place right? for that. I I actually was talking a little bit about that with Jameson, my mm. niece, uh, the other day because I was talking about this property that I might want to get there in yeah. Italy, and I was saying like I could do some like really tiny, sure. amazing, you know, events with some people there and that would be that'd be incredible but uh, and i also know the italian you know uh, a lot of italians ask me if i do this work and they want to come to this work and they would love to come to a talk i just even i get messages a lot was your ted talk in italy it was it was in padova yeah 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 so i do get a lot of requests for it um but i just have uh yeah kind of avoided it which brings me to the next topic boundaries mm. right mm. um is that something you had to learn did you take on a lot at some point and you felt overwhelmed i i definitely think that the more we just you know subtract from our kind of plate like i definitely try to keep really focused on the things that are super important for me and not dilute my energy too much that's for sure but when did you learn that when yeah over the years, and you're right. I mean, it's. It, I don't know if I would have called it boundaries so much as like exhaustion of like trying to be all over the place and also diluted focus, which never really um, gets you. Or, you know, I, it just feels uncomfortable to me personally. It feels like some people are great at it. Like some people can, they thrive off of like focusing on twenty different projects. I am. I'm not that person. Um, I do feel like I have a very diverse life and interest range and I do a lot of different things throughout the day. Like you might catch me playing yeah. the guitar or like writing a song. Or, what if, what, and would you yeah. have these feelings of like these are once in a lifetime opportunities even if they all came at once? Oh. Uh, and you feel like FOMO if, and yeah. did you coin the term jo- JOMO? No, I didn't coin it. Oh, okay. I saw it somewhere and I put it in my book because I and I and the, I put like that I put out. that I, I put that I found that on Instagram, which is so funny because it's like the mecca of FOMO. Um, but yeah, the joy of missing out is really brilliant. And um, no, I actually so for me, 
uh, I don't I don't usually feel that I know I used to I definitely used to feel some serious FOMO but now I just I'm so aware of my own like self I guess I could say to be like this is of interest or it's not and I'll feel it instantly like when I met you it was like yeah I like this dude like let's talk you know what I mean and I don't always feel that and I will often turn things down because time is you, you know I it's very important to me how I direct my attention I would say even right. more than time and so but if I'm feeling that kind of thing I will respond to it because I feel it and so it's not really that hard for me anymore because I am in this deep, so like deep some, someone describe it as like feeling 100% fuck yes about it mm-hmm. or and if you don't then it's it's a no I don't always have that 100% like Interesting. I okay. oftentimes will be like on the fence and when I am um I have to go in that deep listening because it does mean uh, that I'm too distracted most of the time. And then oh. when I go in the deep listening, like I'll know, I'll know what I'm supposed to do uh, or where I'm supposed to go or who I'm supposed to speak with or whatever. I don't always have that hundred percent. Okay. Like yes, immediately. Appreciate you. This year, but um, I also talk in the book about how to test that yourself. Like if you do have that ambiguity around making choices, you know, yeah. talk about, you know, some of what we were talking about on the way over kinesthesiology and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think it was you that said this, but, um, you said you can, in fact, have your cake and eat it too, mm. but you can only have one cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I've been saying this thing for years. So I'm like, who the hell said you can't like have your cake and eat it? Like, what, what are you supposed to do? Stare at the damn thing? Like, what does that mean? I never understood that phrase. Um, so, yeah, I think you absolutely have to have your cake and enjoy it thoroughly, um, which includes all of it. Like, even the sensation of like I'm super full you know um but having a lot of cakes at the same time or making a lot of cakes at the same time while you're eating other cakes so you can have more than one just not at the same time okay that clarifies it yeah 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 and that doesn't mean that like I want to sort of qualify that by saying I actually do have a lot of like running projects but they all have to go back to your point, they do have a, an overarching vision. Like I have a they're vision. They're all kind of connected. Oh, they're definitely connected. Like everything that I do, but I also Maybe have like have a lot of people who help me too. So multi-layered cake. Yeah, I have like uh, like a lot of people who help me behind the scenes to do what I do and mm. to keep a lot of things running. Um, for you know, like like to, VAs or people in person. Um, actually, my entire team is remote. Like that's my that's entire the whole team is remote. Week. My entire team is remote. Um, and it's a lot of people. Um, when did you first buy into that process? When I realized that like Italy is an almost impossible place to hire people. Like it oh. is so ridiculous to hire people in Italy. So, um, and it's nuts. And they go into like contrato indeterminato, which means things like you will get a contract that's like basically for life. Like it's almost impossible for me to fire you. Like it's crazy in Italy. And oh. the bureaucracy in Italy is nuts. So it's not that they don't want to work. What's it's, that? It's not that hard work is or good work is hard to find it's that what you'd be tied with them forever or it's it's not necessarily that you're tied with them forever but the bureaucracy and the um the levels of just red tape and difficulty around hiring people directly in italy is insane but i i do think the fact that i have run businesses in italy means that i could probably do it anywhere in the world because it's so difficult like they do not make it easy and like you can't expense anything like unless you're it's crazy like if I told you that would be a whole nother we're not going there but That's so interesting but what I will say is it like made it pretty much impossible for me to do that so but I started another I have another business here so I do a lot of I, I yeah I do a lot of international business where where uh 
Where's a good source for remote help? I don't know the answer to that question. I have been, I, at the beginning, it was really hard for me to find the right people. Like when I first started out on my own, I think there was a lot of, um, yeah, I just wasn't finding the right fits. And But for years, I've worked like my core team is all the same people uh-huh. for years and uh but i i actually ans- i had to realize that like the most important question that i had to answer and be able or sorry that i had to ask myself and be able to answer in the affirmative was like would i want to have a beer with a, this person on a saturday night like mm-hmm. not do they have all the skill sets that i'm requiring not you know of course i want somebody to be able to show me like they've they they've done it they they yeah. get what i'm talking about they're interested they love it they're enthusiastic about it whatever but it was like do they like do don't hang out with them <laughs> that's kind of became my number one question and since that did it was like yeah I like I hired people that I liked and you don't hear and, that too often yeah I, no, I've I, heard of it but you don't hear it too often um, uh, I think recently I've been asking people like their hiring practices in the sense of like how do you vet if someone cares because uh, to me you can teach all the technical skills if they don't have it already and I just want someone not maybe care as much as I do but care enough to good work mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. to give a shit yeah yeah you want to hire good people I mean good people in the sense of like yeah people who are well adjusted you know yeah. and like not bringing their stuff to the workplace to, like in the sense of and maybe you all discover of us that have it but over like, a beer but, but like, like yeah but like all of us have it but it's like you know how well adjusted and how um, enthusiastic is this person yeah. about their life and, and therefore what mm. they're doing and mm. you know all that and I mean there's multiple maybe potential questions but yeah. Maybe like asking them, what do they care about? Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what yeah. else? I, we're, we can wrap up, but like, what else are you curious about these days? Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm eternally curious. <laughs> I love what you're doing. And I just want to say that before we do close is Thanks. like, you're doing really, really fantastic work. And I've seen a lot of it and it's really touching. And I think, again, also whoever's watching, like, you're here and you're connecting with this work. It really says a lot about you as well, the listener. So just kind of want to shout that out um, before we do wrap here. And thank you so much for having me and for, yeah. It's like, been an awesome ride. It was really uh, funny. By the way, everyone, Victor and I met in a bathroom. We did. Right. We met in a bathroom. We did. We did. <laughs> we met in a bathroom. Uh, yeah, and I was like, I feel like I, I should qualify you. that. Hold on, I wait. was like, I, <laughs> kn- the- I know you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I walk into the bathroom <laughs> at my um, so like my sister in law, who's my best friend, who's the mother of Jameson. Um, so I walk in to her parents, you know, the, the bathroom that's up there. And I'm about to go to the bathroom. But anyway, yeah. I find Victor in there with a wedding dress. I mean, Victor, come on. So I find him in there, you know, he's like, it's awesome. And I really felt like, oh, this dude's really cool. But then I'm like, oh, I can't just like start talking. This is going to be creepy and weird. Like the aunt. Before who just we said like, anything? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we said anything. And then all of a sudden you're like, are you the one who uh, wrote the book? Yeah, like I think I follow you on Instagram. And I'm like, okay great like I have a reason to talk to this dude because he looks really interesting and anyone who's holding a camera like doing something like that I'm just always intrigued so yeah well big shout out to Jameson yeah big shout uh, out to our people you know, she, she's in in the book and uh, yeah. she keeps forever sharing your stuff so uh, that's how we found you she's so awesome with the mutual admiration society that just got larger oh, yeah um that's all I have awesome thank you for your time Courtney your presence um Listeners, see you in the next episode. Till then, stay curious. <laughs> <laughs>